At the start of the quarantine in 2020, I started to get into video games a little bit more than I had previously. I played Battlefront 2, RIP that game. I played Subnautica, in creative mode of course, I just like swimming around. And The Long Dark. I really like The Long Dark. So, naturally, I decided to check out some of the soundtrack on YouTube. And in the comments, I found a link to another playlist. One that blew me away. So in regular me fashion, I became obsessed with the music before I became obsessed with the game. The game's name, of course, is Frostpunk. I'm sure a lot of people in my family are tired hearing about how much I love this game. And you will be too after, after this. So uh, buckle up, I guess. A huge part of any game would be the story, and in my opinion, Frostpunk's plot is one of the most interesting parts of the game. It's a very thought-provoking story, and it really connects you with the people that you are managing in-game. Firstly, the game gives you a title sequence. This opening cinematic vaguely alludes to how the world, in 1883, ended up the way that it did. Basically, the world froze over with some unknown reason. For some unknown reason, I'm sorry. You, the player, have taken a group of about 80 people from London and have led them onto a dreadnought, a piece of technology that's like a land boat of sorts. Again, this is the 1880s. Um, this game takes on a more steampunk vibe to it. You and your group make your way up to the north to generator site 632. Unfortunately, a blizzard has split up your group before you can make it your way to the generator. Once your team makes it to Site 632, or what's left of your team, that is when the game starts. You start off with a total of 60 people, including children. After you set up tents and a cookhouse and a workshop, your next objective is to research and construct a beacon. Your engineers get to work, and once your beacon is built, you send out scouts out to the Frostland to find the rest of your group. Once the whole gang is gathered, and maybe some extra survivors from the first storm, if you happen to find any, you set off to work trying to upgrade the houses, keeping everybody warm, and trying to upgrade the generator. This is crucial as the cold really starts to set in. Every day it gets colder and colder, and while you are trying to deal with that, your scout team will stumble across the city of Winterhome, which is in ruins. See... Winter Home is another generator site, and where the first group of refugees was sent. They had set up their city months before you ever boarded the Dreadnought. Winter Home was supposed to be a beacon of the New Age. But the city is charred to a crisp. Bodies line the streets, and oddly enough, all of the children are gone. In the generator, it seems to have exploded. If your scout team doesn't get to Winterhome before a certain deadline, a man from the city will drag himself to the outskirts of your city and scream about how Winterhome is dead, and then will collapse and die. This sends your people into a fury. They start to doubt whether they should have left London, and their hope will start to fall drastically. This is the big turning point, and it happens about a third of your way through your playthrough. Your people will give you an ultimatum. They need something to believe in, something to get them through to the other side. They give you a choice, either the path of faith or the path of order. The path you choose doesn't really matter, but it's more about how far down said path you go. 
Do you want a brainwashed cult or a totalitarian dictatorship? No matter what you choose, there will be a mob called the Londoners. This group will try to persuade your people back to London. As each day passes, you you inevitably start to crumble under the weight of trying to keep your people fed, warm, and happy. And more and more people will join the Londoners. You have two weeks to try and convince them to stay. But if you convince some of the Londoners to stay, things will calm down for a little bit. Until on day 34, the temp is negative 70 degrees, your engineers manning the beacon notice something strange. A huge storm system on the horizon. Your final challenge. You have a week to gather the supplies and upgrade your houses and the generator in order to survive this storm. Your people start the day with little hope of survival. Hope is dwindling and discontent will rise. While dealing with the rising tensions, you may have to resort to some unsavory and downright immoral ways to deal with the troublemakers. People will try to steal supplies, food riots will ensue, etc. All while keeping the supplies and upkeep all while keeping the supplies upkeep and stockpiling any extra. Your people will have to pull twenty four hour shifts and people will die of exhaustion. The living conditions of your city will be absolutely deplorable and people will be miserable. But if you are able to push through to the storm, the horn that sounds at the beginning of every work shift will sound and a chilling announcement by the foreman will be made. Brace yourselves. The storm is here. The storm will last four days. Your coal mines will freeze. You might have to put your generator into overdrive. Your people will be freezing and the death bell might start to toll the minutes by. But once you make it to the end, no matter how many atrocities you may have committed to get there, no matter how many people died, or how many of those deaths could have been prevented, the very last message at the very end of the last time lapse of creation of your city, now officially deemed New London, will always be the same. The city must survive. Honestly, though, the music in this game is really good. Go check it out. And like YouTube or Spotify, please. So like I said previously, the general goal, or the main scenario is to survive the final boss of the game, the Great Storm, or that's what they call it later. And your survival depends on making your people happy. If they become too discontented, they will banish you to the Frostlands. Or, if you've progressed enough through the story, execute you. So, yeah... And keeping your people happy is a lot harder than it sounds, especially when you have a situation where, let's say you're running out of food, but to build another hunter's hut, you have to get more wood, and to get more wood, you need to build another sawmill. But you have no wood right now, so you have to wait for your scouts to come back, because they maybe they have some supplies. But they're 16 hours away from your city, and people are becoming desperate, They need someone to point their finger at, so naturally they point their finger at you and start to become very desperate. Sorry, I stuttered there for a minute. And people are becoming sick. You need more medical tents because they're getting sick because they don't have any food, but you can't build any anyways because you have no wood. And because people are getting sick, you have no available workers for the hunter's huts anyways. And yeah, it's a process. That whole paragraph was very hard to read, so thanks for 
sticking with me. Anyways, when your team first gets to the generator, you immediately start gathering resources from the leftover piles surrounding the generator. There are enough supplies to build all of your tents, get the generator running, and build a couple of other buildings, such as hunter's huts, medical posts, workshop, a sawmill, and a beacon. Once you build your beacon, you can send your first scout team out to different locations on your map. Sometimes there are supplies or people at these locations, but not always. Once you start getting the hang of the general mechanics of the game, you have to start tinkering with the political aspect of Frostpunk. At first, the only laws you can sign are the adaptation ones. These laws can affect your people's hope and discontent, but be warned, each law will have unforeseen consequences for your future. And yeah, that's the game, keeping people happy and warm. It's almost like being a mom, except instead of whiny toddlers, you get whiny Brits. Honestly though, where's the difference? Now what about this people's old, the people's ultimatum? Faith versus order. Believe it or not, these two path mechanics are kind of the same, but the general aesthetic of them are completely different, and that's what I love. Keep in mind that you don't have to sign all the laws when it comes to these paths. You can choose laws. You choose these laws because you get desperate, and you have these people in the palm of your gross, sweaty hand. Let's be honest. Your hand will get sweaty during this game. Why did I say that? That's so weird. Anyways, let's start with my personal favorite, the order path. If you choose this path, you start out with having to build watchtowers that you can station workers at. These towers will watch over your people and keep them safe. Anyone who lives next to a watchtower will have their discontent lowered slightly. Next up is Neighborhood Watch. This allows you to send out your people in work towers and watchtowers for patrol. This will lower discontent for a limited amount of time and has a cooldown of about a day. There are a couple of simple little innocent laws like morning announcements and implementing foremen in your workplaces. And then further down the line, you will see laws like Propaganda Center and the prison. This is where you will really start to spiral down until you reach Force, Persuasion, and Pledge of Allegiance. It all leads to the final law of the Order Path, a new order. Once you enact the new order, all of your opposers will be obliterated. Hope will now be obedience, and an execution platform will be built at the base of the generator. Your flag will be hoisted up onto all the buildings. This is the canonical ending, and where Frostpunk 2 will leave off. Next is the path. The fa- the <laughs> Next is the faith path. There we go. That's really hard to say for some reason. The first thing you're required to build are the houses of prayer. Anyone who lives within their radius will have a small hope boost. Next after that are evening prayers, which will also help boost hope. After the temple is built, it's basically like the propaganda center, the next laws are shrines, houses of healing, and soup kitchens. Pretty harmless, not, if not helpful stuff. But there's always some, has to be something, doesn't there? Next are the faith keepers. These guys are like your guard dogs. They will keep your people on the path of righteousness. Heretics will be punished by them if you sign the public penance law. Forgiveness, the forgiveness law will allow people to be cleansed of their sins if they give up the names of heretics and sinners, which will be useful once people start stealing food and wood. Finally, the last law, the new faith. Basically the same as the new order, except instead of a dictator, you are a cult leader. Fun. 
You are now the voice of God, and any non-believers will be cleansed from the streets. An execution platform will be built at the very base of the generator. Hope will now be faith, and your, gar- and your golden symbol will be steeled to every building to show their devotion to God. Oh, I mean, you. See how similar those two paths sound? Yeah, mechanically they aren't very different, but see how differently you twist your people's views? In the order path, you get them to fear you. In the faith path, you have them revere you. So what type of leader will you be? Will you skirt around the more extreme laws, or will you become the leader this new world needs you to be? I mean, come on, coward. I know you really want to lead a cult. It's actually pretty fun. Now, like I said before, every single decision you make has an, and every action and inaction you take, it all will lead, come around to bite you in the butt sooner or later. You want to know how the real hardest part of the game is? It's in keeping these whiny, ungrateful Brits happy. And to do that, you need to sign laws. There are laws for labor, child labor, medical posts, pub houses, and even houses of pleasure. Do not sign that law your perfect little Christians will get pretty mad. But the way these laws are presented is like a crossroads. They will give you two choices, and you will have to pick between them. And to be honest, it's like choosing between two bad options, but it's just part of the struggle, weighing the pros and the cons. For example, there are two laws that you are faced with signing once your people start to become gravely ill, the sustained life or radical treatment laws. Let's start with sustained life. The the bio for this law is, we can't cure the gravely ill, but we can at least keep them alive. We won't risk dangerous amputations. For radical treatment, it's, we'll try everything to save the gravely ill, from invasive surgeries to amputations. If you sign the sustained life law, your medical post will be filled to the brim with gravely ill patients, and these people will not be able to work. They will still take up food rations and take up space, and you will have to build double the medical post to compensate. Not only that, but you will have to find more hot spots for the medical posts to go, because they can only operate under chilly or warm living conditions. But your people won't be mad at you. There might be a small chance that you'll recover. With time, you'll be able to get back to work and hope will rise. If you sign the radical treatment law, more people may be cured, yeah, but they will be left as amputees and will not be able to work until you sign the prosthetics law. There will also be the chance that they will die anyways. People will be scared to go to work because they might get frostbite and have to have their legs sawed off. But then again, you will be able to save more workers and they will be able to get back to work sometime in the future. Personally, I always go for the radical treatment and tell myself that I'm going to sign the prosthetics law, and then I forget to, so it becomes really no different than the sustained life law. So let's do a little intermission. How to survive the Great Storm. The final challenge is what will be known as the Great Storm, or the final storm. The goal is to try to keep as many people alive as possible. You will need to stockpile food, enough to last a week, upgrade the generator, and stockpile coal in case of an emergency. Also, an upgraded generator means more coal intake, so upgrading your mines to manage your upkeep is a good idea. The first thing you need to build is to build three connected workshops. This will decrease the researcher upgrade time by a lot, and also connected buildings are more efficient. Let's start with food. Well, let's second with food.
To be perfectly honest, this is the hardest task to get done, especially if you are already behind on food upkeep. Sometimes it's as though no matter how many hunter's hut you build, you can't catch up with all the hungry citizens. And around this time, you might notice that some of your food stock is mysteriously going missing. Once news of the final storm hits, your people will try to steal resources for themselves. Food riots will break out, and you are screwed if you don't have some sort of guard in place. Faith keepers or guards. Your guard can take back the supplies, but some will be inevitably lost in the shuffle. Best thing you can do for food is signing the soup law, upgrading your hunter's huts to hunter hangers via the workshop, and having some sort of neighborhood guard in place to protect your stocks. Next, heat. This is also tricky, but not as uncertain as food. The clear path is only using the higher settings on the generator when absolutely necessary. This will help save coal. On the thought of saving coal, see if you can upgrade your housing to something warmer than tents. If you are at this stage of the game, you'll probably already have bunk houses, but it would be beneficial to have actual houses. Houses are warmer and shelter from the weather shelter the from the weather better than bunk houses. This will help with saving coal too. Now on that thought you thought what thought thought what <clears throat> now on that thought, you will definitely need to stockpile coal. Upgrading your coal mines are crucial to keeping up with running your generator once you turn up the heat. Your best friend in these hard times are the workshops and your scouts. Scouts can set up outposts near Tesla City, another failed generator site, and can harvest steam cores, which are crucial for constructing more complex buildings like coal mines and factories, where then you can have all the steam cores you need to upgrade your coal mines. Now I know I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you, but bear with me here. Now there's one last thing that you cannot forget about. Your outposts and your scouts. They're still out there in the cold. Remember to call them back to the city before the storm can reach them, or they will be the first to die. I could write about all the political things you need to worry about, but I'm kind of tired and these paragraphs are overdue, so that's all you get. That's what I wrote at the bottom of that. I did not have to read that out loud. I am talking very fast. I'm very sorry. That was not an intermission. I said that was an intermission at the beginning, but now I'm just rambling, so. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> the sound quality on this is questionable, but, um, yeah. I'm doing this on my phone. <laughs> Um, okay, bye.